Good morning, friends. Today's message is Bend Out of Shape Christians. It's based on one verse, Psalm 119, verse 165. This past week, I pulled out an old King James Bible off my shelf. I paged through it. Now, this Bible was the one I used in grade school as a young boy growing up in Seward, Nebraska, attending St. John's Lutheran Grade School. Flipping through the old Bible, I saw passages underlined, probably to remind me of some that we needed to memorize for memory class. When I reached the Psalms, I noticed my young boy printing at the beginning of Psalm 119. It said, longest chapter in the Bible. But when I turned the page, I noticed a question mark and an exclamation mark next to a verse, verse 165. Evidently at the time, it made no sense to me. And here it is, reading from that old King James Version. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. As I pondered this, I think I might have been thinking, how can you love the law and be at peace and never be offended? Well, friends, it only took me a few decades before I finally got it. Here's how it reads in some other modern versions. New International Version. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Or the NCV, those who love your teachings will have true peace and nothing will defeat them. In the message paraphrase, it says, for those who love what you reveal, everything fits, no stumbling around the dark for them. And then in the English Standard Version, great peace have those who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. <clears throat> now, I like the various ways the promise is expressed. To those who love God's law, nothing will cause them to stumble, nothing will defeat them, everything fits, they're not going to stumble around the dark, they have... Com- They are completely secure, and therefore, they are not upended. It's a promise of a personal security in a topsy-turvy, dangerous, uncertain, and sometimes very hostile world. Nothing we can do uh, can change the character of the world. It, It is what it is. But there is something we can do to keep the world from permanently changing us. There is a source of security in God's word that gives us great peace and keeps us upright when everything else is turning upside down. Now, where does such confidence come from? I think it comes from knowing God's word and building your life upon it. Psalm 119, verse 165 tells us what happens when we do that. It contains a promise, a condition, and a result. Let's look briefly at each part. Let's start with the promise. And the promise is great peace. Great peace have they who love your law. Now, peace is a wonderful concept, and great peace is even better. Peace is man's highest hope, his fondest dream, and in most days it seems so hard to achieve. When Jesus was born, the angel proclaimed, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But after 2,000 plus years, it still seems in short supply. Now, many of you probably already know the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. If you visit Israel, people on the street will greet you with shalom, peace to you, my friend. It's a mistake to think of shalom as simply being the absence of conflict. It's a much richer idea than that. Biblical shalom involves things like prosperity and happiness and contentment and, most of all, blessing from the Lord. It's a very positive, very rich, very wholesome concept. As Oswald Chambers said, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. And the Bible has much to say about peace. For example, from Isaiah um, 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
or Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, friends, if we want this sort of great shalom from God, we must learn the meaning of submission. As long as we demand our own way, we're never going to have peace in our hearts. And you know, it's right at this point that many of us miss the mark. We begin the day by making our plans, setting our agenda, writing our to-do list, and then we present it to the Lord and say, if you don't mind, I'd like you to sign off on this. And if you do it quickly, that would be fine, because I've got a pretty busy day ahead of me. Now, we say we want God's will, but in truth, what we really want is God's rubber stamp on our plans. It's no wonder sometimes that we're miserable or frustrated or anxious or or hyper-controlling and hard to live with. Do you know how to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. C.S. Lewis remarked that there are only two prayers in the universe. My will be done and thy will be done. You know, when you think about it, everything we pray fits into one of those two categories. And I know from long experience that it's not easy to sincerely pray, thy will be done. Like most people, I prefer that my will be done. I mean, there's something in all of us that wants us to be in control or to run the show or to set the agenda or just be in charge. But how humbling it is to consider the example of Jesus who stretched out on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, dripping bloody sweat and deep agony as he contemplated the horrors of the cross. In Matthew 26, verse 39, he said, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Friends, it costs something to pray like that. If you think it's easy, it's only because you have never surrendered your will and holy submission to your Heavenly Father. It occurs to me that the only truly happy people I have ever known are those who pray and understand thy will be done. They have that grace peace here of Psalm 119. They've discovered that the way to peace is to yield everything to the Lord, and until you do that, there's going to be continual inner unrest. Blessed is the sorrow and the pain, and blessed is the disappointment, and blessed is the failure, and blessed are the saddest moments of life, if that sorrow and pain and disappointment and failure and sadness causes us to say, O Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And cursed is the success, and cursed is the prosperity, and cursed is all of our fame and fortune and networking and status grabbing and money making and empire building. Cursed be all of it if our success and fame and fortune and career expansion and all the rest does not lead us again and again to the place of full surrender where we gladly say, O Lord, you have been better to me than I deserve, not my will, but yours be done. Now, how can we know if we actually have this great peace? Well, I think there are three marks to look for. One is a clear conscience. I mean, there's going to be no peace if we harbor known sin and wrong attitudes. There's going to be a contented heart. This means a heart at rest during the hustle and bustle of life. It's the opposite of a heart consumed with anxious care and worries of the world. And three, it's a happy confidence in God. And by this, I mean a confidence that looks back and sees the hand of God in all the varied and changing circumstances of life. This sort of confidence sees God at work in the good times and the hard times, leading you through the very dark valleys. This confidence looks at the present and says, I am here by God's appointment, therefore it is good for me to be here, even though I might prefer to be elsewhere. It looks to the future with anticipation, knowing that God will lead you step by step, so you end up exactly where he wants you to be. 
What a wonderful thing is this great peace, this great shalom of God. It is a promise within the reach of every child of God. Well, let's move on to the condition, those who love your law. Now, there is a very specific condition attached to this. The great shalom is given only to those who love God's law. Now, last Monday morning, I, I woke up thinking about this verse, and especially about the phrase, those who love your law. Well, I felt then and feel now that this is a pretty difficult concept. I mean, how do you love a book of laws? I mean, the very idea of loving the law seems to be kind of an oxymoron. I mean, two things that just don't go normally together. For instance, suppose I go to a driver's license bureau and pick up the Missouri rules of the road. It's, it's a set of laws governing how we should drive in this state. So as I read, I begin to say to myself, I love this book. I love the rules about no passing on a hill. I love the law that covers parallel parking. And I really love the regulations for getting your license renewed. And suppose I love the booklet so much that I take it with me wherever I go. Now, most people would think that's a little strange. And you know something? They'd be right. So let's try another illustration. Suppose you buy a Betty Crocker cookbook. When I ask you how you like it, you tell me, oh, I love this cookbook. I love everything about it, the way it looks, it feels. I love the way the pages are so neat, and I love the typeface. I even love the index at the back. I really love the recipe for veal parmesan. I mean, I read this six or seven times a day, and when I do, it's hard to keep me from crying. Now, friends, if you talk like that, I'd probably conclude that you are in serious need of professional help. Now, let's make one small change in that illustration. Let's suppose that the recipe book is from your grandmother. Each recipe was written in her own hand. Each page is worn and stained from the cooking she did many, many years ago. As you turn each page and read each recipe, you remember your grandmother and how much she meant to you. You love that book because you love the person who wrote it. It's more than just words on a piece of paper. It's a reminder of a family relationship, <clears throat> a precious symbol of love that spans the generations. Well, when I think of the Bible that way, the concept of loving God's law takes on new meaning. We're not to love the Bible in the sense of loving the ink printed on the paper, and it's not just the words we love or even the message contained in the words. We love this book because we love the one who wrote this book. His words have meaning for us because we know him personally. Now, seen in this light, loving God's law means more than reading the Bible or memorizing verses or meditating on your daily readings. It goes beyond mere approval or admiration. It even goes beyond delighting in the word. To love God's law means to embrace it wholeheartedly as the rule of your life. Because we love God, we love his word, and we make it the foundation and center of all that we do. Now, as far as I know, there's no verse that commands us to read the entire Bible during a calendar year. I mean, you gain no favor with God if you do it. You're not sinning if you don't. So why do it? I'll tell you, for one thing, we Christians tend to be woefully ignorant of the Old Testament. And the only way to remedy that is to read all of it. And I think there's a profound and legitimate sense of accomplishment that comes from reading the Bible from cover to cover, or as one person said, from Genesis to maps. But beyond that, I have a great dream for everyone who does read through the Bible. I just hope that by the time you get to Deuteronomy, you will like it. And by the time you get to Isaiah, you will love it. And by the time you get to 1 Corinthians, it will be such a part of your life that you can't live without it. When you finally get to Revelation, I hope you say, ah, well, I truly love God's word, and I want to spend the rest of my life getting to know it better. Loving God's word is a gift from God. You don't 
work it up by human emotion, and it doesn't come automatically just because you read the Bible every day. After all, many people read the Bible mechanically and are never changed, never touched, never moved. They read the Word, but they really don't love it. So, am I a lover of God's Word? I don't think I've ever asked myself that before. I mean, over 50 years now as a teacher and then as a pastor, that's kind of that's kind of a new thought. I mean, I read the Word, I study the Word, I write about it, I teach it, I preach it. But do I love God's Word? See, that's when I began to understand that under, that loving God's Word is a gift from God, like the gift of faith that belongs to Christ in the first place. I mean, every good and perfect gift comes down from God in heaven, James says in chapter 1. Even the ability and desire to love God's Word must come from God himself. That's kind of a humbling and liberating insight. So for the last number of months, I've been asking God to make me a man who truly loves his Word, a lover of the Word. Well, here then is the most practical application for all of us. As you think about this verse and contemplate what it promises and what it requires, ask God to give you a true and deep and lasting love for his word. So I'm saying ask for it, seek it. Tell the Lord that you want to be more than a reader of the word and more than a student of the word. Tell him you want to love his word. Ask him for that love. Pray that it might be implanted in your heart. And if we ask in sincerity, that's a prayer. God will be pleased to answer. So let's move on to the result, which is this, nothing shall offend them. Well, the end of this verse tells us of a wonderful result that comes from a great peace God gives to those who love his law. The King James says nothing shall offend them, and that seems like a fantastic promise, an incredible result, almost too good to be true. Now, you can check the word nothing in Hebrew, and you're going to discover that it means Nothing. No offense taken. Nothing will irritate us. Nothing will destroy our calm composure. Nothing will get under our skin. Uh, nothing's going to get us all hot and bothered or bent out of shape or edgy or angry or whatever. That's, you know, that's quite a promise if you think about it. When I read those words, I almost unconsciously want to downgrade them like this. Not very many things will offend them or most things won't bother them, but a few things will really tick them off. Now that, of course, is my flesh not wanting to take God's word at face value. And it reveals the tendency we all must make excuses for our wrong attitudes. The newer versions translate the last phrase using words related to stumbling. Nothing can make them stumble. No stumbling around the dark for them, or they're not upended. Somewhere I read, uh, we're all just dodging bullets. I mean, life is... Uh, filled with problems and difficulties, and sooner or later we all deal with sickness and failure and disappointment, sadness, betrayal, and unexpected tragedy. And death comes knocking on every door eventually. James 5, 7 says, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. So when you read this verse, make sure you understand that there will still be stumbling blocks along the way. We will all have our full measure of problems to deal with before this life is over. But the problem, but the promise is this. To those who love God's law, you will not stumble when you come to them. Perhaps you'll step over them, or perhaps you'll walk around them, or God will give you the grace to walk through them. But in any case, you will not stumble. You won't fall. You're not going to be destroyed by the changing circumstances of life. Now let's consider for a moment what this means in practical terms. If we are attacked or falsely accused, we will not stumble. If we are ridiculed for our faith, we will not stumble. If we struggle with temptation, we will not want stumble. If we are bothered by the failures of others we trusted, we will not stumble. If we face hard times and bad circumstances, we will not stumble. If we are bothered by the arguments of skeptics, we will not stumble. 
If we are consumed with fear or worry, we will not stumble. If we are deeply troubled by the tragedies in this world, we will not stumble. If we feel unequal to the tasks that before us, we will not stumble. If we fear being left alone, we will not stumble. If we lose a loved one in sudden death, we will not stumble. Friends, there are times for all of us when the storm clouds of sorrow and suffering threaten to overwhelm us. And in those moments, we are tempted to despair because of what we see around us. But then the Lord says, My child, fear not. Above the clouds of sadness, the sunshine of my love always shines. Today, maybe you do not see it or feel it, or you fear the sunlight is gone forever. But wait a while, and the cloud will be gone, the sun will shine again. And know this, even when you do not see it, the sun is shining above the clouds, even when the storms are breaking over your head. Having been fortified in our soul with great truth, we have God's great shalom in our heart ever since. How wonderful and how appropriate, then, are the words of today's text. Great peace have they who love God's law. Nothing shall offend them. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing can defeat them. Why? Because the word of God is their foundation. They are completely secure. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.